Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live Let Thrive. What is up, Micah man? I am chilling, Stevie Stacks. How you doing? Great, sir. Hey. Is it what episode is this? Do you know offhand? Episode 124. Whoa, we're up there, man. Yeah, we're moving. Doing it for a while. Yeah, and we have a special guest today. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try this for the fans out there, you know, it's, uh, I'm gonna do like an intro. So I'm building it up real big, you know, gonna introduce the introduce our special guest, our amazing guest, and um, and so I'm probably gonna fail miserably. But here it goes. It helps that she wrote the script for me. Um, our our guest today is an amazing guest. Her name is Zayona McIntyre. And Zayona has been an Airbnb host since 2012 and has grown her offerings to consulting and co-hosting homes from from Seattle to Spain. Spain, that's awesome. That's my favorite place. Uh, At 33 years old, she is an avid real estate investor owning seven homes and managing 15 others, all rented short term. She teaches her clients to create automated hosting business through her website and blog, ZeonaMcIntyre.com. Zeona has been to 47 countries, spending half the year in Boulder, Colorado, and other half and the other half traveling the world as an international pet and house sitter. So welcome, Zeona. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> that was like the best <laughs> intro ever on our yeah, podcast. I only messed up. <laughs> it's like the, the only one. But anyways, it's still the best. So how you doing, Zeona? Thank you for hopping on. And um, yeah, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, just chilling here in Boulder. It's kind of funny because when I hear that, I go like, oh, yeah, that's all true pre-COVID. Because <laughs> now I'm not pet sitting or traveling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's like um, it's the new, I don't know. It's, I was going to get into that later, like the new normal. How are we going to how are we going to do all this now? You know, and um, well, I'm sure. See, we, we heard you on the Bigger Pockets podcast uh, a while back, 2017. I was looking it up right the other a minute ago, and um, it was awesome. You, you, you talking about financial freedom, which is we love to talk about, and we love talking about um, short term rentals, and and we and we were fascinated by your story. So, um, real quick before we get into the COVID stuff, which we always do, um, how how did you get started? What you know, how did you get started in this? Yeah. yeah, so I heard about Airbnb in 2011. So I'm kind of one of those OG Airbnb hosts. I started in uh, 2012 and my friend was getting into it and he got laid off and he was like, I can't afford my apartment in New York. I heard about this thing called Airbnb. I'm going to try it and like go travel. And so he started doing super well with it and he was just like, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. And I was busy and didn't really think that it was going to be something for me. And then he told me that after a year, he made $50,000 on one apartment that he didn't even own. And so then I was like, okay, I'm paying attention. You know, that's real money. And I was like, broke college student. So I, you know, I started doing it and I started really simply with just an extra bedroom and a two bedroom apartment that I was renting. Um, and I had a roommate that was moving out and I thought, well, it's already furnished. Let me just try it. And if it doesn't work, I'll just get another roommate, you know, not a big loss. So it turned out working so well that I was renting her room and then sometimes my room and going and staying with friends. And I eventually rented a few more apartments until I could buy something. 
So yeah, fast forward, I own seven places now and I manage places all over for different people. And yeah, just always trying to be creative. So quick question. So you've grown. So where do you, you said you host from, I think Seattle to Spain. Yeah. So where do you host and what cities do you host right now? Yeah. So I have a place in like upstate New York. There's a place near Valencia in Spain. Um, I have a couple outside of Seattle and Everest. Um, I've got Colorado Springs, Denver, Boulder in Colorado, um, St. Louis, Missouri. They're kind of just like all over the place, you know, and it really depends. I've got a place in Utah near the ski slopes. So yeah, it's it's just that people hear me from podcasts and so they're all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) So in, in like all those places are Airbnb friendly. I know Colorado got really strict at one point, didn't they? Yeah. So the cool thing about co-hosting is that it doesn't have to be legal for me per se, you know? So it's not that I went out and I bought a property, which wouldn't be legal in Denver, but the owner is living there part of the year and that does make it legal. And so I could have 20 places in in Denver, you know? So that's kind of the loophole there. Wow. So, so you're co-hosting, you're not, uh, you co, okay. So you don't arbitrage or you just buy and co-host? Yeah. So I, oh yeah, I started arbitraging. That was kind of my, my start before I had any money to do it. And then now, yeah, I own them and then I co-host. Yeah. So I guess the question, the ultimate question, how has your business changed due to coronavirus and how hard was it? How hard was it hit and what have you done to make the changes to survive? Yeah. You know what I tell people all the time is that in the end, I'm just grateful that I have inventory. Because if you have real estate, you can be creative. There's a lot of different ways that you can rent it and use it. Um, It's different if you are in stocks or something. If the recession happens, you really can't do anything but wait out the storm. And so in the end, I'm just grateful that I have properties. Um, Most of my places, I kind of saw it coming and I was like, well, let's see if I can just get some month to month people that will want to wait out the storm. And so that's kind of worked out really well for me is that I've got... um, yeah, most of my places at least get two weeks to a month. And then I have been checking out um, more uh, medium term, I guess I would call it is like travel nurses and stuff where, yeah, they'll do three month contracts and sometimes extend to six months. And I've found that I like that because it's actually a lot less guest communication, a lot less expenses. So um, yeah, it's, it's trying out a whole new way to do it. Wow. And, and where are you advertising for these long, medium, to, medium to long-term guests? Yeah, so I'm still on Airbnb, um, but I'm also using, instead of like using the, the traditional short-term rental routes, I'm not really as heavy with like Booking.com and VRBO. I'm kind of looking more towards, I'm on Craigslist, I'm on Facebook Marketplace, and then I'm also using Furnish Finder, which I'm really loving. And they are predominantly medical professionals, but sometimes it's just anybody looking for a furnished place. Um, So you get like government contracts and stuff. Um, But yeah, that's been great leads. It's just a lead generator, essentially. And when you have that, you can have, like I have four places in St. Louis, I can just have one listing and then I use the, the leads and I shoot them all four places. And then if they're clicking on Airbnb, it improves my SEO. So it's, it's a win-win, it's working out pretty well. So being a co-host, when, when all this, um, I guess people say, you know, early, early or mid-March is when this whole thing, the whole thing went down, the COVID thing. 
and the, the cancellations started rolling in. How did it, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you were getting um, blown up on your, you know, left and right on your phone about what are we going to do? <laughs> you know? And how did, how did you, re how did you respond to that? Yeah, I pretty much just told them that like, hey, I don't know how long this is going to last, but let's try to get a couple longer bookings. You know, let's try to get the next month so that we can always kind of see a month ahead of us. And so we did have to drop prices quite a bit. And it's a little bit sad because coming into summertime is usually the height height of the season for most of my places. Um, and so it seems like this year we're not going to get that crazy money that you get in those couple of months. But um I think it's just nice to have them rented. You know, I have a couple that are just making a couple hundred over break even, you know, and so it's not crazy, but it's also a lot less expenses and I feel pretty good about it. I, I just don't want to be losing money. So if I can keep all the places full, I'm a happy camper. Did you have to talk some people off the ledge? You know, one of my clients who's like the biggest handful, he has a place in upstate New York that's kind of like an hour and a half from the city. And actually his place has gotten a ton of demand because everybody wants to get out of New York City. They're just like freaked out and it's been like a big hub of virus. And so having a place that's like spread out and has a lot of space and nature, like people are excited about that. So that place has been doing really well. So it kind of just depends. I think some places are a good like retreat. So we heard like uh, on the news and stuff, you know, we're over here in Texas, but we heard that the people in upstate don't want the people from New York City going that way. Mm. Well, they're doing <laughs> it. <laughs> I have one property in Maine, which is totally in the boonies. And I have a neighbor who's been like emailing us through Airbnb and being like, you're not supposed to have guests there. I'm going to tell the governor. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, so sometimes people are nosy, but in general, it's not a big deal. So we were talking before we got started, and we were at, talking about the survival of Airbnb because we've both been seeing all the comments and all the Facebook groups and whatnot. How do you th do you think Airbnb will survive this apocalypse that it's going through right now? Yeah, are you asking me? I kind of want to hear his opinion because you and I had already talked about it. Like, what's he got to <laughs> say? Not, uh, my opinion, no, they're going to die. <laughs> it's over. It's the end. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. I think, if anything, people are super pent up and they're just excited to get out and travel the moment somebody says it's safe. You know, so, and I think some people are still doing it, um, just trying to get, like, a change of scenery. If they're going to be stuck indoors, let's be stuck in someone else's indoors. So it's not, yeah, it's not gone away at all. And Airbnb is just a middleman. You know, they're making crazy money just putting people together. So I think that business will always survive. You know, they can cut costs and, and keep themselves going. Oh, yeah. That's my, that's my answer, too. I think people can't wait to travel. Oh, and yeah. It's going to be like a big, I'll well, say explosion, but just it'll just be like, ah, like finally we can do something, get the hell out of the house, you know? I love my yeah. family, but you know, I need to, I need to get out, get out. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, well, tech, we'll see because Texas opens back up tomorrow, right? Yeah, Friday. Friday. Yeah, Friday. Friday. Opens partially oh. back up. So hit up we'll the see. bars. No, no, oh bars still close. You better get the heck out of Texas because that's going to be the next epicenter of like. Uh, don't say that, Ziona. Don't say that. Am I saying your name right? Ziona or Ziona? Ziona. Ziona. I like the creative. You know, I think everybody says it a different way because it's not really phonetic. 
So what does it mean? Um, it means God's kingdom. I was born in Jamaica and it's after Zion. Wow. That's oh, cool. That's dope. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you're like, we interviewed a travel nurse, like, um, well, she's, she runs a travel nurse website and she's a nurse like a couple weeks ago. And she's also yeah, from Jamaica. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. Yeah. What website? Are there other sites that you guys are using and doing really well with? Cause I got to get those tips too. Let me learn some. <laughs> I'm on Furnished Finder myself, but I, right now, well, actually, before this whole thing went down, I, I, my, the cities that I had uh, Airbnbs in banned Airbnb completely. So mm-hmm. I, I turned them to long-term rentals before, the, which is kind of like a, you know, double-edged sword. It's like, well, I'm glad I got long-term renters before this. But, um, yeah. but anyway, I was just using Travel um, Furnished Finder. I, didn't, I never had really any luck on that site. She runs, what is, do you know what her site is offhand, Mike? Uh, Nurses B&B. Nurses B&B. Huh. Yeah, okay. she I never nurses. heard of it, but I'll check it out. Yeah, cool. uh, travel nurses go there. It's a place for travel nurses, place for um, people to list their property. So she's kind of playing that middleman as well. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a smart role because you don't really have that much skin in the game, you know? I'm actually getting my second it. listing on there now. Um, so I've been using Nurses B&B. I just started using that. Um, then I'm Furnish Finder, of course. Then I use Turbo Tenant. And Turbo Tenant, the cool thing about that. It sends you everywhere. It puts you on uh, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, Zillow, Trulia. It puts them all out there for you. So all you're doing is make one listing and it shoots them all out. So it's one-stop shop. TurboTen has been really good, getting a lot of, uh, a lot of leads. A lot, yeah. a lot of the leads I sell because I don't really need them because I'm, I'm, I'm still getting hit really, really hard on Airbnb because the places where my places are. They're in little uh, rural towns where people drive through. So I'm always getting reservations. So I, I didn't really right. take a, yeah, I didn't take a huge hit from Airbnb, but I am preparing right now to go ahead and start doing, going direct. I'm looking to get my own uh, website up. So uh, maybe use something like Hostfully. Uh, I got away from Guesty because kind of expensive. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so I'm looking at things like that, trying to go direct as much as possible and start doing direct marketing campaigns. Nice. So Zayana, mm-hmm. are you are you currently looking for for more um, Airbnb? Um, sorry, to co-host more Airbnbs or to purchase more houses right now? Yeah, so I think for me, I'm kind of looking at the lazier strategies. So if I go to purchase a home, I think I'm going to just get like turnkeys that are already renovated and they're long term with the property manager in place. I've been looking in Ohio and I'm just kind of waiting just in case it gets a little cheaper because right now it seems like it could, like the, the real estate could drop a little bit. So yeah, I think right now I'm excited to do more co-hosting and I like doing Airbnb on my own places, but I think my long-term strategy is going to just be coasting with um, long-term rentals that I don't have to think about. So I'm already kind of working that direction a little bit. I don't think I'm going to buy more Airbnbs unless something magical falls into my lap. <laughs> so, so are you like, do you consider yourself financially free, financially independent? Yeah. Um, I, the way that I define that is that my rentals make more money than I spend in a year. And so that's already true. And so I don't need to be doing the co-hosting, but what was true about that. And so I, I considered myself financially independent at 28. And at that point I was living super frugally and I wasn't really going and eating out. And I thought, 
man, I want, I love that I'm financially independent, but I want to get to this place where I have enough that I don't have to think about money. So it's like, I can go eat out. I can do things. I'm still going to always be kind of responsible. I'm a big spender. Um, but yeah, I just didn't want to have to think about it too much. So I built up this co-hosting business and it's helped me make a lot extra right now. Um, and then I'll put that into a couple more investments. So I feel pretty good about it. Smart move. Yeah. I've been, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm kind of looking to, I'm looking to buy right now. I'm looking really hard, uh, but I'm looking at places that are undervalued in like little small rural areas. And I've been coming up with a few hits. I've been getting outbidded, but I've been really, really, really looking hard. So, um, and that's a good thing to look at. I don't know if people are looking I would say, don't be scared right now. You know, if, if there's something available, definitely go for it. Um, I may think about hopping in co-hosting and how, how did you like, speaking of co-hosting, how did you build up your business and co-hosting to where you were able to just get clients? So it started really accidentally. It was just kind of like people started knowing in town that I was someone who did Airbnb. And so friends of mine that were learning how to do it kind of would ask me about it and whatnot. And then I had a friend that was like, man, I've been doing Airbnb for a little bit, but I think I'm kind of doing it half and I'm not really doing a great job because I've got a full-time job. Would you like, could we work out something and then you could manage this place for me? And so that's kind of how it started is I did just a few friends and then I was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. Like I find that with co-hosting, you're always going to make money because you're making money every time they get a booking. So even if they're not making a great month, you're still getting money out of it. So it's a really, um, you know, there's, there's a really low downside with that, you know, and there's no investment because they're providing a home that's already furnished. And so I think co-hosting is a great way to go. Um, but yeah, I started my own vlog and then I started doing a bunch of podcasts and that was a great funnel for a co-hosting client. So I think if you start saying that you're doing it on the podcast, you're probably going to get interest. Okay. So. I currently only co-host. Well, I don't say co-host. I host a place for someone else. Only one. It's been pretty yeah. good. You know, and I noticed I'm like, I have noticed like, wow, you don't have the worry of, Oh, if, is this going to make rent this month? It's just money. Every time you hear a ding, it's money for you. So yeah. Yeah, that may be something I'll look into in the future. Yeah. Cause you know, to be completely honest, I've been in Airbnb for a while and I think that the hot, hot years of Airbnb were like 2014 to 2018 or 2017. And it was like, you couldn't lose. It was just gangbusters. But now I think there's a lot of pros out there. There's like hotel chains that are doing Airbnb. There's just a lot of changes. And so the numbers are getting tight. The profit margins are shrinking a bit. And if you're co-hosting, again, you can't lose. But if you go to buy a place and you don't buy it perfectly, you might have some hard months. So I do think co-hosting is a great way to do it. Wow, that actually is very – yeah, because even if you notice Airbnb is more – you notice they're kind of going more the professional route, the hotel tonight, all that. Do you think – and that, this, is a good, this is a question for you, like for people that want to hop in. Do yeah. you think that they need to have need to be changing up their skills of how they host due to with so much rising competition? And what do you, what are some things that you would suggest? Yeah. I mean, I think people need to have their design skills up because at first, I mean, I started as a college student and I had a low budget and you could just have kind of something dormy, but now it's like things look like they're out of interior design magazines and you can still do that on the cheap. 
but you've got to like study a little bit, you know, you've got to have an eye for that. And I think it totally can be done, but it's not just like, oh, let's get the, the cheapest basics. Like you need to put a little thought into the quality of sheets and towels and just the way things look and make sure you've got some fake plants and some art and a cute, a cute fro. Like it's got to be cozy. And so that's, that's a big thing. And I think it's something that can totally be learned, but I think it's a, a step a lot of people skip. So that's important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sorry, sorry. I had a two-year-old meltdown, so yeah. Fun. I know, right? Get to witness that, um, see how hard my, my wife actually works all day long. So mm-hmm. see that firsthand. Yeah. So, sorry, I missed the conversation. Um, it, I'll just jump in where I was going to ask you. Um, it, it was it was cool. You were talking about turnkey. How that's like your new strategy. You want something that's just ready to go, and you can start up right away without having to like renovate, do all that stuff. So, and to me, because like, if you've already reached you know financial independence, why why start? Why keep taking like big risks? You know, and that's what I was thinking is uh, is the theory like stocks versus bonds in a way, right? Because like. Yeah, I mean, when you're trying to build wealth, you're trying to, you know, get these, get some stocks because they, because they go up faster, you know, they go down faster too, or you can just put it at bonds and grow slowly. And so you're, you're at the state of your investing in um, real estate in, in the bond phase in, in a way, kind of. I thought that was kind of. Cool. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, so. I do think so. I mean, I think now there's, there's this thing I was just talking to a friend about that you kind of get addicted to buying homes, like it's fun. And now, you know, my boyfriend says that I buy homes, I don't buy shoes. You know, it's just like my thing. <laughs> I love that shit. Um, so, yeah, it's something that I don't know that I can ever get rid of, but I might try to slow it because I just don't want too much. Um, you know, more money, more problems. It's like I just don't want more houses that are always needing something because mm-hmm. I want to have a very relaxed life. So, I'm buying a little more purposely. I have two nephews. And one of them has been like starting to go to school, just like a little preschool thing, but it costs money. And so I was like, man, what if I could buy one home and that would be contributing to his school. And then at the end, once I've got it all paid off, I can give it to him and say, this is your whole college if you want to just sell it or whatever. And so I'm kind of like using these little plans of like, how can I do something really simple now when they're just a baby? And then build it up to something later. So that's kind of the stuff that I think about now. It's like, how can I replace this $300 bill while I'll just buy this one house? That's cool. Yeah. That's how I'm looking at it with my kids, you know. I have three, three daughters. And yeah. so um, I was, that's why I wanted to at least have one house per child. So if we have another child, I have to get another house. Um, so so that, that's what I looked at it like. Is their college, yeah. you know, as soon as they're they can do what they want with it and um, hopefully, you know, keep it as a rental and make money that way. But we'll see. Hopefully they don't just cash it out and go to Vegas or something stupid. <laughs> well, hopefully you teach them <laughs> along the way. By the time they're 18, yeah, they have some skills. Yeah, yeah you, you're right. Buying homes is addictive because I'm, I'm starting to really realize I'm addicted to that shit too. <laughs> yeah. I've been like this whole quarantine. That's all I've been doing is sitting on auctions. Uh, got a realtor. I, I, I sent a guy 20 properties that I was like, if you were able to look at these, I'll make an offer on them. So yeah, it, it is very addicting. I've I'm very addicted to it. I've noticed, uh, I don't know about y'all, but I noticed prices didn't drop too much right now. I thought that with the COVID-19, the people on a high unemployment is just going to plummet, but they've been staying steady and maybe even rising a little. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things fell off the market. Um, there are a lot of potentials for deals because you don't necessarily know what someone's situation is. So even something that's on the market, um, they might need it gone right away because they've already bought something else. They're paying double mortgage. It might be empty. So I've been hearing of people making low offers, 25% low or yeah, and you can do a good job. So, you know, yeah, it's a numbers game. Yeah. All right. Cause I, it, uh, the prices, it's really either where you're looking and also, yeah, it's mainly the market where you're looking at. Cause I've seen a lot of, a lot of them drop, but I don't think we're going to feel the full effect until about three months from now when people, when those forbearances start to wear off and people don't have the money, they've lost jobs. That's when you'll see the full effect. And that's when you can go out and start helping people like, Hey, I'll buy your, I'll pay your mortgage off or I'll take over the payments, you know, things like that. Yeah. You'll be able to do some creative financing. And I've been hearing that this mortgage thing is going to turn into balloon payments. So at first I thought, Oh, cute. They're going to just extend three months on the back end of your mortgage that it would just, turn into a longer mortgage. That would have been the smart way to go, you know, just collect extra interest on the back end. But if they make a balloon payments, it's going to be a flurry of floor closures. So if you have the cash, you know, and you know about those kinds of deals, then there is a lot of opportunity. But I think it's very sad because balloon payments never work. You know, people are not going to have the money in a month if they didn't have it two months ago. Yeah, that's we we interviewed a guy, um, a banker actually, and he was talking about that being a real possibility. People facing these huge balloon payments, and um, or and or the bank's gonna say, or y'all could um you know refinance with us, and so in, in either way, they get, so if they you know if they get the balloon payment, fine, but if they get people to to redo their mortgages, and that's a lot of money too, all the fees and stuff they can collect from it. So I mean, they're in it to win it, you know. They're not gonna just try to give us something for free. <laughs> they're gonna try to do loan mods that's crazy and loan mods yeah, yeah. and I, I guess my strategy and i, I told micah is that uh yeah i'm gonna i'm taking the forbearance right now for the three months but i'm putting all that money aside in an account you know so i won't touch it and when it comes down to time where they're saying okay you know this is what we can work out with you we could either do a balloon payment or we can put it to the end you know when they give me the option because they're being real hazy right now they're not answering my questions they're saying well when it gets there, we'll see what kind of things we can do. And they mentioned the different things, but they can't really give me a clear answer. Yeah. So just in case that the, none of the other options sound, sound good to me, I'll just, Oh, you know, here's the money, you know, boom. But if I can get something cool, like adding the three months to my end of my mortgage and I still keep that chunk of change, that'd be pretty nice too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what happens. But I think that would be the best way to go because I don't think the banks want a bunch of foreclosures on their books. That'd be kind of intense. Plus, I don't know how you're going to get someone to qualify for a refi if they don't have money or a job, but you know, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm good for it. I'm good for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's the thing. I mean, so I'm, I mean, right now, like in this area, North Texas, which has always been pretty hot. It's been pretty hot for a while. Like I said, I, I saw like a dip, like right away when this whole thing started, you know, going crazy with the COVID and, um, but then it just like, right back up you know and the, and the deals that the deals that did like wow a house for 130 grand you know pretty decent looking house i mean that went quick and i don't i put a bid i put in a few bids for houses like that but i didn't i didn't come close so i don't know how much they bid it up you know what i'm saying yeah so um so i think i think that yeah we'll see what happens when the forbearances when the forbearance situation when the bill comes due we'll see how many good deals will be out there 
Yeah, and it's tricky because they just kind of arbitrarily put out three months. But like, who knows how long this will last, right? I don't know. There are maybe people that are out of work for like six months or eight months or, you know, so. But I mean, they just opened up Atlanta and then they just had a influx of new cases. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. You, you don't know how long this thing's going to last. You never know if they open it back up and these cases start going flying through the roof and they have to shut it back down. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it is sad though. all these people going through unemployment. That sucks, you know? Yeah. Are you guys trying any of the small business loans or unemployment things or different stimulus options? I haven't done anything, but lots of people are like, oh, you would qualify for this or that. And I'm just like, I'm too lazy. <laughs> it seems very, uh, very like confusing. And I'm like, oh God, no, thank you. Jonah's like, I got too much money to be worried about that. <laughs> People saying like, but it's a free 600 bucks a month. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I think like there's people that really need it out there and I don't really. And then at the end of the day, like if, if you're waking up at 3 a.m. to file when no one's on the computer, it's like, dang, that is way too much work. I'm not doing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you, I mean, so you're technically, you're technically self-employed then. You don't, so you would qualify yeah. for something like that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, sole proprietor. I I, uh, I applied, but I didn't get nothing back yet. They said it's coming, but I didn't get anything. I, I wasn't worried about it. I was like, I'll just apply. Um, I did. It might just be like a check in the mail later when you totally forgot about it. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I, I I did the PPP one, the Paycheck Protection one yesterday. I'm I'm not really looking forward to it. If it comes, it comes. But yeah. I I applied, but I mean, so how, I, how does that one work? The, the Paycheck Protection one. I'm not even sure. It looked exactly like the SBA one. So I was like, okay. You're I just, like, what am I signing up for here? <laughs> yeah, you know, so I was like, okay, it looks like the last one. So I signed up. I mean, if I get it, I get it, you know. But I, I, I think the SBA one, they give you $1,000 per employee. Uh, but if you don't have proof that you paid an employee with it, you got to pay it back. So it's, it's little nuances with all those. Any money they give you, it's going to have a yeah. price you know, attached to it. You know what's crazy is like the these people are are researching who's getting these checks and like I mean they find out that the Lakers got like four point seven million dollars and you're like the freaking Lakers got money you know and there's people that actually need the money so of course as soon as they, they put it out there Lakers oh we're giving our four point seven million dollars back Ruth Kiss Steakhouse got like thirty million dollars like we're giving her thirty million I'm like what the hell where's the money going it's going to all these freaking millionaires the people that are already millionaires and none's going to the people that actually need it that's a bunch of bullshit. Mm. As my friend Al Williams said, you give the money to your golf buddies first, man. <laughs> That's, oh man, yeah, corruption, whatever. You know, what goes around comes around. So back to Zayana. Zayana, Zayana, right? Zayana. <laughs> Zayana. <laughs> so, so what are your long-term goals in this whole thing? You said you didn't want to, I mean, I, I see that you're about lifestyle first, and that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean. You're not one of these, oh, I need a hundred houses. I need a hundred units, a hundred doors and this and that. No, I think that's very like a traditional real estate route is that it's kind of like, I don't know if I should say this word, but I'm going to say it. Just like a dick measuring contest. You know, <laughs> all the real estate guys are like, I'm only as valuable as how many doors I have. And like, I don't want to talk to you because you have less than 10. You know, it's like stupid. So I definitely come from the side of being financially independent and being early retired. And so that's kind of like finding out what's enough and sticking to that. 
And so, yeah, I feel like I have enough already. So I don't necessarily have as much like motivation and hunger, but I am curious about things. And so in the last couple, like maybe last two years of tax returns, I was really looking at expenses and thinking, dang, it's a little bit more than a long-term rental, but it almost seems like a lot more work. Yes, you make a lot of money, but you lose it all in expenses. And I just wasn't sure if Airbnb was still making a ton of sense. And so I had been really excited to try kind of medium term or long term strategies and just compare the numbers. And so lately I've been excited to try those out. And then I've also been kind of using time. Um, what would I say? Like I'm clocking my time to see how much time I spend with one strategy versus the other. So just trying to like collect some data so I can figure out what is my best mode going forward. And then the next thing that I'm learning about is I'm kind of like taking this time to learn about location rentals, which is like rentals by the hour. So for like events and filming and stuff like that. And what I've found that's really exciting about that is that you can make a ton of money on just a few places. And for some of the places that like, for example, St. Louis, they might only make $50 a night in the slow, slow time of year. Well, if I can make $100 an hour and book two hours, then that's better than having anyone stay overnight. So just trying to figure out like, what are the strategies I really want to be doing? Do I want less homes, but do I want to manage things like um, a restaurant or something and do events with that? So yeah, just kind of trying to keep it fresh, man. I've been doing Airbnb for almost 10 years. It's like, it's not always going to be the hot thing. Let's look for what's new. So, so you're looking for the biggest bang for your buck, in other words. Hmm? Yes. So right now, like when you say you're looking for stuff like that, like, hey, how do I go about filming and things like that? What have sure. you come across? Like, have, have you come across any platforms that you could use to sign your place up for that? And totally. Oh, good. There's a bunch of them, but Peer Space is probably the one that most people have heard about. And so that one does, it's like photo shoots, there's events, um, some filming, and then co-working is kind of like the arenas that it could be in. And you'd be surprised that a regular old home is still used for like commercials and stuff. But if you actually pay attention, a lot of commercials you see on TV or, you know, when you're watching Hulu or something, they're people in a normal house. It doesn't have to be a mansion or a villa every time, you know? So you can be using your places for um, location, stuff like that. But what I've also kind of seen is that you can find opportunities to co-host in places that are being underutilized. So for example, like a restaurant that they don't open till five o'clock, you know, maybe it's fine dining or whatever. What are they doing until five o'clock? Could you be a partner with them and take a 50-50 cut and say, I'm just going to do all the work and I'll give you some money if it works out. So you could be renting these huge, you know, brewery halls or whatever for, you know, $500 an hour or $3,000 a day. So there are some great opportunities. I'm just trying to see how much demand is in my town versus, you know, someone who lives in LA or something like that, um, where it would be more obvious. So yeah, I decided right now I'm going to just study it up get really excited and learn about it and then get myself on the platforms that make sense. So maybe choose three or something like that, that are the best of the best and then get all my places up there. And then when all that industry opens up in you know, the next month, see how valid it is. So yeah, you're looking real excited over there. You're <laughs> Steve. <laughs> you Micah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love stuff like this. So you're talking about arbitrage and commercial space. 
That's like yeah. a really good idea because I know a restaurant right up the street that only opens like at five. So that's a really oh. smart thinking. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, well, these people that I was taking the course from, I think they made 40, they make up to 40K a month and they have three places and they don't own them. And I'm like, all right, I'm listening. Let me just chill. Let me take, a, <laughs> take some notes. So Yeah, the, the pop-up business. I love that business model. Yeah. I, I guess, the, oh man, I wish I remember his name. You, you probably know it is the guy that kind of invented the, the, the concept of pop-up business. I think he's from England or something. I heard him on a podcast and he was talking about, I think one of the, one of the first ones he did was a escape room kind of thing. He used like a business that already existed and did the whole escape room concept there. He didn't have to pay rent. He had to buy the place button. He just made money from the time they ain't using it. And I was like, man, that's freaking genius, you know? Yeah. And restaurants too, they have those, you know, the dead hours and you can like make your own little sandwich shop there at the restaurant while they're not, while they're closed and stuff. I was like, wow, that's awesome, man. Zero risk and all reward. You know, you know what I think about these pop-up shops you guys are talking about? And maybe you guys can expand on this. I, I feel like with everything that's going on right now, I think a lot of businesses are seeing that with them saying, okay, like right now we're on a Zoom call. Most businesses, most people are working from home. Maybe don't, they don't see the need for overhead for commercial real estate. You guys think pop-up shops just, hey, I'll just rent out this place for this many hours to Ziona, then Micah comes in the next few hours, then Steve comes in. I think that could possibly be like a huge thing for commercial space right now. Yeah, totally. I mean, they could have it for meeting spaces where it's like, okay, we don't really want to have this business, but we will do it for two hours or something so we can all get together face to face. So yeah, I definitely think it's a valid thing. Yeah. So the, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, because I think Steve, you once sent us a you sent off over a commercial building, and I was like, you might be able to turn that into like a WeWork, you know, because a lot of it looks like these commercial buildings, they're just like going down. The, a lot of them are just like, okay, we don't have employees here, we really don't need this overhead, so you know, be something to look into. Yeah, it's funny. I I, I texted Mike of these um these the commercial places that are popping up on my feeds, you know, because I always you know follow Zillow and Realtor and all those ones. And then all of a sudden they're sending me um, the commercial real estate. I'm like, what the hell? And for cheap, like 110,000 for this three room office with the, you know, waiting area and all this stuff. I mean, dirt cheap. I'm like, damn, I might look into that. Turn it into, like you said, a WeWork or something. Yeah. yeah. So motels were way ahead of the game. Yeah, but it's interesting because sometimes it seems like people are seeing the trend. And so they're going, okay, well, commercials use, commercial space used to be very safe. You know, there are always going to be offices. And I don't think anyone would have predicted that, wow, people might really like to be at home and then not use office space anymore. So they're probably trying to just pass the hot potato until, you know, someone gets stuck with it in their hand. But if you do get really creative, like you're saying, we work, I think that will always be a thing because people are probably going to want to get out of their space here and there, you know, and they may not have an, an official office. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just I would be a little careful, but if you've tested the market and you know that that area has got demand for it, then it probably could work. How long did you live in Jamaica? Um, until I was like two. Oh, okay. Like so you don't, you don't remember too much from it? Well, I've been back a few times. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And yeah. would you ever consider investing there? Oh, God, I know nothing about the Jamaican market, so I don't think so. I think... For me, what I've seen from the few properties that I've co-hosted abroad is they're, um, they just have never really worked out super well. 
Um, I had a place in Mexico, a place in Greece, a place in um, Cape Town, South Africa that I've co-hosted. And they all were kind of way more seasonal than the U.S. And yeah, I don't think that I would want to buy abroad. And then, you know, there's a lot of different rules that we don't know because you're in a whole new country, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so do you still have properties that you manage in Spain? I do. I have one there and it's not, it's the only empty property of all my properties. Oh. <laughs> and it did bad or Spain? Or oh yeah. Huh? It did? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like France, you know, people are, they're only allowed to leave the house within certain hours of the day. And in Spain, you actually have like a radius. Like you can only do like one block around your house if you're going wow. for a walk. Yeah, I've been hearing like it's really strict in other countries because I even had to pay change the payment schedule to my VA because he's only allowed to go out his house certain days a week, so he can only pick up his check certain get his money certain days a week, and then he only he has to have a pass to say he's either going to the bank, to the grocery store, or to medical. So yeah, it, it's that's in the Philippines. So yeah, it is really strict in other places. Yeah. But that's why they probably have less cases. I mean, the U.S. has a fourth of all the cases in the entire world because we're not so disciplined. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We like freedom too much. Yeah. Um, So so where in Spain is it? It's near Valencia, which is like a coastal town. So, yeah, it's like a four-bedroom villa, like overlooking the Mediterranean. I mean, it's amazing, and it's empty all of the time pretty much. Okay, now I have a question. Yeah. What systems are you using so you can co-host abroad? Yeah, so it's the same. It's so simple. It's like all the bookings happen online, right? And then I just have an on-the-ground cleaner. And so I use Guesty, but you could probably use any kind of property management automation. It just, when the booking comes in, it sends her an email that says the cleaning has to be done on this day, and she just does it when she gets scheduled. So it's pretty easy-peasy. And then the people, you know, they get their automated email with their house manual, how to get in the house. And then we have um, a lockbox. So the same as anywhere else. Wow. Nice. Okay. So you're, yeah. you're big into automation then? Oh, yeah. And that's, I think, the hardest thing about going medium term is that it's not as automated. You know, there's a lot of guests that are talking about a place they want to go see it in person which you don't do on airbnb and then you have to write a lease like it's just a lot of steps so trying to figure that out cool and um another question if if you don't mind me asking what is burning man (laughs) um burning man is a festival well you know i don't know that that's true it, people will call it a festival, but it's like a movement. It's a human experiment that happens every year, except this year they canceled it. Um, but it's a place where no money is exchanged and people work on the gifting system. And it brings out, I think, 75,000 people a year to create a city out of the desert. And then they take it all away every year and it just comes back new. Where is this, where's this located? In Nevada. Is that it? And yeah. Oh, okay. You guys really not know about this? I thought you were just playing. Playing. I know a little bit about it. I know a little bit about it. This is all news to me. Oh man! Okay, we're (laughs) here. We'll round up the troops. Go to the desert. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Mike is like, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you. You've seen Mad Max, right? Right, Micah. 
Okay, it's like commercials. It kind of like from the I've never been, but from the pictures I see and stuff like that, it looks like a Mad Max thing. The way you know they they get all dressed up and this yeah, futuristic yeah, it's or so fun. post-apocalyptic. It's all just like music and art and people make amazing things and yeah, you just run around and share with each other. It's a great experience. I've been going like four years in a row. This is going to be my fifth year, and I'm mad they're not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely something mahogany. My wife would love to do that. So I, we, we may have to go out to Burning Man. We'll see what that is. Yeah, well, let me know. I'll hook it up. Cool. <laughs> and, and then they burned this giant, giant wooden structure, right? This giant yeah. wooden man structure. And they just light it on fire at the end. Yeah, they build a man every year. It's like a, a different art grant of somebody who gets to do this man. Um, and yeah, that gets burnt the Saturday night after the week. So it's a whole week long festival. And they also have a temple every year. That's kind of like a non-denominational temple um, that gets, gets built. And everybody kind of puts people that maybe have passed away that year or just different memories or things they want to let go of. And it's a, it's a really beautiful sacred space. And they burn that on Sunday. And so a lot of the things that are there are kind of temporary. People might work on them all year to get to Burning Man, but it's made out of wood and they burn it. So, yeah, it's kind of like the impermanence of life. You know, you know, it sounds magical, too. You know, I hope our fans don't mind us talking about it because I've, I've wanted to go. And, and it, it gets it reminds, it reminds me of, like, uh, I don't know, this um, throughout, throughout history, throughout, you know, societies have, uh, you know, before we're, we're all jobs and it's all about this and making money and this and that. It, it was like, a, it was like, um, they did they have these rituals that they did and they had these, you know, a lot of things had symbolism and, and yeah, fire was a big part of it, but it's just, um, yeah, it just, we, we were more about, about the soul than we were about, you know, like the material stuff like that. And, um, yeah. if you don't mind me going on a tangent, tangent, but <laughs> I heard this, this cool story. I heard it on Reading Rainbow. I remember Reading Rainbow. <laughs> yeah, I do remember. This coolest story. I don't know. It just popped in my head right now about this this little Indian boy. Not and now they're called Native Americans. And he um and his his tribe the um their their tradition was you take once a year you take your favorite prized possession and then they they all take it to the big make a big fire and they burn it. You know. And he's like and he's kind of like oh I don't want to burn my you know this is my favorite bow and arrow whatever whatever it was. And he, they, they were telling him why they do it, this and that. And, and then they did it and he burned it and he felt good. He's like, you know, this is like a gift to the gods. Or this is a gift to, and this and that. And they burned it at night. It was like a beautiful story. It's like, mm. and it kind of reminds me, you know, it's not about the possessions. It's about, it's about us and the connection we have. Uh, yeah. Cool. And it allows a lot of space for that. And it's pretty cool because it's not just to go there and party. Um, everybody has to participate. It's like one of the tenets of Burning Man is you agree to be participating. So there's a lot happening there all the time. You know, there's a lot of restaurants going on, but they're all free. And there's like a roller rink and there's, there's a postal service and they have like a radio station. Like there's, it's like a full community. There's stuff happening everywhere all the time. And so everybody has little jobs and places to go and things to do, but it's, it's very fun. You can just pop into the bakery and say like, Hey, I want to volunteer for two hours. And they're like, come in and you're making a cake. <laughs> like it's very like wild and free. So it's that's a great the, time. the ultimate share economy. Totally. Yeah. Wow. 
brought it all back around. See that, Micah? See, you're like, what what the hell are they talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Good job, good job. (laughs) So how was it, how was it um, being on, to be on Bigger Pockets? I know not as cool as being on our show, but how was it to be on Bigger Pockets? Um, I've been on Bigger Pockets twice. I think it's great. I don't know. (laughs) I have a bunch of friends that work at Bigger Pockets and um, I have a lot of friends that do different podcasts. So yeah, I think that, they are pretty good at what they do and um, they have a great audience, which is so fun because even now years later, I get people that have heard me from there. So um, it's great to be able to kind of influence a bunch of people or help a bunch of people. So I like that, that they have a nice platform, but other than that, I don't know if it's any different really. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're like good friends with Mindy, right? Yeah. Mindy lives just up the road from me. I'd say like 20 minutes away. So yeah, we kind of are all like part of a little dork community. We're all just like into personal finance and real estate. And so we just like dork out with friends. So, so yeah. you know, Mr. Money Mustache also? I do. Pete. That's awesome. Yeah. Pete. Yeah. <laughs> what inspired you to, to look to try to get to Phi? Yeah. Pete is the first person that I heard of that was doing that. And I was just like, I don't know how he did it, but I want to be retired by 30. And so I got to it by 28, you know, and of course it didn't keep me from doing, you know, I don't think I could fully say I'm retired, but I am financially independent and I'm super eternally grateful for that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So like, what would be like a Zayana like advice to, to our listeners? Cause we do, I mean, we, they run the spectrum from like, you know, wanting to take over the world to just wanting to get like maybe 10 or 15 units or just, I don't know, we have, we have an eclectic mix and then some, you know, reaching for the phi. What, what do you have like on their journey? How would you, what good advice would you have for them to help them on their journeys? Yeah. You know, I think being frugal is like a muscle, you know? So once you learn it, like say you're in college and you learn how to just live off of rice and beans or ramen or whatever, it's best if you don't train yourself up to getting super comfortable. Like, Oh, now I can only eat at five star restaurants and I have to have this perfect fluffy bed and everything. It's like, as you do that, you make yourself a little bit weak, but if you've got this frugality thing, then you can always come back to that. I know that I'm always safe because when something like this happens, like COVID, I can just go, whoop, I'm not spending any money because I know how to do it. You know, I know how to cook all my meals. Like people that are five are thriving right now because they stay home. They don't spend money. They cook their own meals. They ride their bikes. So it's nothing new for them. Um, But yeah, I think that if you can get all your bases covered, if you can be financially independent, even if it's the little inconvenience for those couple of years that you're like being scrappy, then later you can always make the decision to make more money, but you can also take three years off or travel or something could happen in your life. And then you have the ability to say, Hey, no work. And I'm going to just deal with life or take care of somebody or, you know, take care of my health. So I think just getting those bases covered is the best way to do it. Even if you want to live a super luxurious life later, it gives you choice rather than being a slave to the system. Love that. Um, one question. This is someone someone asked me last night, and this will be yeah. good for you to answer. I have a friend. He goes, uh, he's, a, he's a realtor friend. He goes, I have an 800 credit score, 
but I have low capital and I want to get involved in real estate. What should I do? How would you answer that question? for me? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the best way is, well, I, I like Airbnb. I like that model. I think that's the best thing because you all live somewhere, right? So that's the easiest way of saying, Hey, what if we go camping to two weekends a month and that can pay our mortgage or, you know, how can I be creative? Can we make a space? Can we make like a finished basement or can we rent out our backyard for some people with tents? You know, what can we do to create more income? And then once you've got even 20 or 30,000, that can be a down payment on a house. Maybe it's not a house where you live, but it could be a house somewhere. So you don't need a lot of capital, but there's tons of ways to be creative as well. But that's like, that one's the easiest. I think Airbnb is like training wheels, you know? <laughs> That's what I told him too. I said, uh, you should just think about arbitrage. And I'm like, you don't even really have to have any money. It's so many ways. Yeah, you just have to have a hustle. I like that answer. And yeah, so and I mean, if he co-hosted, it's even less money because nope. it's just free. So, so you'd be more in the camp is like owning real estate is like the destination. The journey is, you know, making money in these different types of ways, you know, arbitraging or co-hosting or whatever until you have enough money to actually to actually buy your own. Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm not going to tell anybody that real estate's the right way for them. There's definitely like pros and cons to any kind of way of investing. And I think people that really want something that is a hundred percent hands off, they're going to do better in index funds because there's nobody going to call them in the middle of the night and there's nothing that's going to break on the home. You know, even if you have a property manager, you could get a random bill for $5,000 when you own mm. a house, like it's a liability. But a home can go up a hundred thousand dollars in one year. Like you, you never really know. So I think there's a lot of magic to it, but it's for the right people. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, this has been a great episode. What do you think, Micah? Yes, it has. We finally got the great Ziona on. We've been <laughs> a while. And we finally got her. So yeah, uh, it's been a good episode. I want to thank the fact that you were cleaning out old emails and thought of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's my COVID dream to get to a zero inbox. I started with like 3,000 emails and I'm like, oh, hi, I haven't talked to you in two years. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That was. Oh, that's crazy. Well, actually, it was 2018, wasn't it? I think it was 2018. Two years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is 2020. Holy shit. Man. <laughs> Man, COVID's but throwing them off. Doesn't it? Is. 2020. It is. <laughs> 2020. Um, yeah, that was funny because she, uh, Ziona, sent sent us a message saying, "Yeah, she cleaned out her old emails and she saw this one." And yeah, what can I be on your show? <laughs> so yeah, the, pretty much we asked her if she could be on her show, and then she she responded. So it pays <laughs> yeah. off. And to make it not sound as bad, it was like, oh, when I get done with this trip, we'll do it. And then we never, I don't know, we never connected. So I was like, hey, still good? Can we do this now? <laughs> Might as well. I'm quarantined. <laughs> yeah. What else are you doing? <laughs> Best things come to those who wait. Well, thank you so much, Zayana, Zayana for jumping on the show. And being our first um, intro, too, or our first, like, um, I got to intro a guest, and that's really cool. Fancy. And it helps that you wrote it for me. I appreciate that. You're a great writer. You should write a blog. Oh, you do write a blog. Check out her <laughs> blog. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Tell them, Zayana, tell the fans where they can find you. 
Yeah, it's ZianaMcIntyre.com. So I imagine you'll have to put the spelling in the show notes. But yeah, I have a blog and some other podcasts on there and then a bunch of um, referrals on software that I use for Airbnb. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we wish you luck in your journey. I know you're kicking ass and, um, and enjoying life first and foremost. And so thank you so much for hopping on. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. All right. And that was the great Zayana, Zayana McIntyre. <laughs> and um, anything to add, Micah? No, that was a great episode, a great interview. I don't know butcher name, so with the great Z. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a good episode, and we look to hopefully have her back on in the future. And you can find Live Let Thrive at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, be sure to subscribe, leave a subscribe, a like, and. Um, also, leave us a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. Zayana, real quick. Do you, do you like coffee? I do like coffee. Okay, you like, you like grind your own beans and all that? No, I really just drink coffee on vacation, but I think it's like a treat. Oh, okay, cool. Because we're about to have our own, our own brand of coffee, so we'll send you a bag. I'm we're... into it. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> Live, let, drive coffee. Check it out. Well, cool. Thanks again. This is a great show, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll see you again in the future. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye bye. <laughs>